0: Timer starts now. Hello and welcome to Medium Salt, the really long podcast that makes shorter podcasts tremble when we talk about nostalgia and movies and how that shapes us as individuals and as a society. I am one of two hosts today. I go by Matt, and I am joined by my very dear friend, Kate. Today, we are going to be trying out a lighter format, a light salt, if you will. And we will be talking about uh, the mythic Bechdel test. What is it? Where does it come from? How might we think about it? Does it know things? Let's find out. Hey, Matt. But first, Kate, (laughs) how are you?
1: I'm actually doing, I'm very tired. I was going to say pretty okay, which I think I say every week. I am pretty okay. I'm also pretty tired.
0: (laughs) Pretty okay most days. Um,
1: I'm excited about our, yeah, pretty Okay. Um, pretty okay is the new fine, so
0: <laughs> pretty okay is the new fine <laughs> <laughs> <It is. laughs>
1: Tell all your friends, yeah. um yeah, I'm excited to try this new lighter uh format, if only to ease up your editing work, and also because every time I try to get people to listen to my podcast and then I tell them it's three hours long, their faces drop
0: so yeah we we do tend to be a little long winded um so in order to help with that. And to give us some semblance of personal lives, um, every other week we're going to be doing these light salt episodes, and we actually set a timer to restrict ourselves to a reasonable amount of time. Right now, it's set for forty-five minutes. Let's see if we can hold to that.
1: <laughs> it's just still longer than <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: still longer than a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Our our light episodes are the length of a regular podcast episode.
1: You know what? I won't apologize. No.
0: no. We are we have things to say.
1: Yeah. And I get I get to talk to one of my best friends for three hours every week, so that sounds good to me. <laughs> um
0: you reading any good any good books lately, Kate?
1: I have not been reading. It has been a weird Shame. couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> I know. I have been drawing a lot though, because I'm doing Inktober. Oh, yeah, so basically yeah. In the evenings, I will sit and draw for five or six hours. And that does not leave a lot of time for reading. Oh, but I did get a really interesting. Um, so I'm so subscribed to Nautilus, which is a long form science magazine. And their issue this, I don't remember if it's quarterly or not, but their most recent issue is about the ocean and the covers. It's just these beautiful drawings of octopi, which are my favorite animal. And so I have been reading some articles about that. I learned a lot about manta rays. Do you know that manta rays are apparently responsible for bringing a lot of nutrients to coral reefs? They're one of the few things in the ecosystem because they travel so far. They will eat somewhere else and then they will, you know, shit on the coral reefs. And then the coral reefs are like delicious. Wonderful! That's that pretty important. Right. Exactly. I mean, honestly, manta rays are beautiful. They can poop on me. It's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a different podcast, Kate. (laughs) Oh Yeah. What about
1: um, you? What have you been reading? Tell me everything.
0: Um, you know, I've been, I've been like revisiting the Dune series um, mm. and I'm on like heretics of Dune right now. Um, I wanted to kind of read it before the, the the new movie came out. Um, it's a series that's like Dune as a, as a, as a book series. And as, as the original book is very important to, to me personally, um, what it did for sci-fi as a genre and how it challenged and kind of subverted a lot of, like narrative structure and tropes Um, to the point where I was like, oh, it's an unadaptable film. It'll never make a good movie. Yeah. Um, But maybe, I mean, if it's gonna, I saw Blade, when after I saw Blade Runner 2049, yeah, Mm -hmm. the new one 2049 with, with Denny Villeneuve. I was like, you know, if if a director is going to do Dune, um, I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's him. I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to seeing it. I don't know if a lot of audiences will respond well to it because of the way Dune. If you're faithful to the book, Mm -hmm. it's going to be really unsatisfying if you, if you aren't like a big, like story junkie, like plot and plotting and story and structure, like Mm -hmm. how it all ties together, um, which I love that stuff. I love just everything about how stories are told.
1: I Um, even, even Blade Runner 2049, I saw that movie by myself in the theaters and as I was leaving I'm going to sound like a little old cranky lady when I say this, so I'm just going to put that out there. As I was leaving, I thought, wow, this movie was amazing. I went on to see it two more times in the theaters and I've seen it several times since. And as I was walking out, there were like some maybe early 20s or late teens in front of me that were like walking down the or going down the escalator and they were complaining <laughs> about how long it was. Go eat your Tide Pods. (laughs) Go go eat your Tide Pods and get out of my movies. (laughs) But I was like, oh, I loved it. I loved the uh, the atmosphere and the I don't know. I like long, slow things. Clearly,
0: yeah, yeah, same. Um, I feel. I love
1: Dune. I've never read any other Dunes in the series except for the first one because they're written by his son.
0: No, so the so there's like six books that are written by um Herbert himself, right? Before oh, okay. his son kind of took over later and he wrote a bunch of prequels and some sequels and blah, blah blah blah. And a lot of people don't really consider that Dune canon because like it's just it wasn't written by the original it wasn't the original guy, you know, it's not classic right. Coke. It's new Coke. <laughs> but um I so it re reading the sequels was really weird for me. So when I first read them as a child, I I hated them because they like the first Dune was so epic and grand and like, yeah, it subverted some expectations and blah, blah, blah. But it was still really, um, still really entertaining. Loved it. Um, and then the sequels like deconstructed the hero narrative further. Mm. And like, that was too far for me as a child to really, um, to get.
1: Yeah, your, then, your healthy cynicism hadn't uh, developed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and just like my, my literacy, right? Like my own ability to understand. The content I was ingesting, I went. I later, I, you know, I later went and reread them as an adult, and I found a whole new appreciation for for the for the series and the sequels that I didn't have before. And I think anybody who maybe read the sequels before, like once, and didn't really care for mm-hmm. them, I would encourage you to maybe like learn a little bit more about what he was trying to do, and then read them again and see how you feel. Because when you understand kind of what he was doing with the Messiah narrative, it becomes a lot more interesting. Um, and if you just want to, like, get a Cliff Notes version and learn more about Dune, um, there's a YouTube channel called Quinn's Ideas. And, like, that channel was built on Dune content, and that guy loves Dune. Highly recommend his channel. Ooh, Everything Dune is fantastic. Yeah, he does other sci-fi stuff, too. Like, he does some, some Asimov and some... Um, uh, like, the uh, ch- 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 the Foundation Trilogy and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did, like, uh, Hyperion. He covered some videos on Hyperion. Ooh,
1: Hyperion.
0: Yeah. Um, so, great channel. Highly recommend. Um, and that's, that's what I have to say about Dune.
1: Yeah. It's nice when stuff like that holds up. Like, sometimes I'll go back and revisit things that I... Well, much like this podcast, I guess. The books that I loved as a child... Um, so recently at Half Price Books, I found a whole bunch of the Xanth series from Piers Anthony,
0: Oh, and I yeah. And got,
1: I got a couple of them and then I took them home and I started reading oh, them. No. I didn't make it through the first hundred pages. I literally, no, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this. I love books. I treat books with some sort of, as if they're like sacrament, you know, I don't mm. like it when people dog ear books. I don't write in my books. I get really sad if my books get messed up.
0: Books are sacred. Books, all books are sacred.
1: Books are sacred yeah. to me. Yeah. I threw these books in the trash oh because I did not want anyone <laughs> no. else to read oh, them. No. Like, I just threw them in the fucking trash because I think I was even more mad because I had liked them so much. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, they were magical and interesting and weird. But there's literally a character in like one of the main characters in the series where she's a woman and she goes through phases where she's actually um, super hot and dumb. And then she progresses over the course of the month to being super ugly and smart. And she just does that constantly. She's always in one of the, like, moving into or out of one of those phases. And that's just subtle. one part, like, one tiny bit of, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> subtle as a fucking firework. I'm like, wow. So all of it's just.
0: Yeah. I I, Anthony like is one the, of those. M-
1: the misanthropy yeah. is just weaved yes. in there. Zams so. did not
0: age great. Um, maybe mm-hmm. we should cover books sometime, and not just movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be a tangent, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh! But yeah, so I'm glad that Dune. I need to go back and reread. Yeah. Dune. But anyway, yes, uh, we should probably start talking about the. We Bechdel should. Test.
0: We've been we've been talking about not the Bechdel test for about ten minutes now, which is uh, that's precious oh, that's no. precious time now with our new format.
1: <laughs> precious time. So,
0: uh, Kate, what is the Bechdel test?
1: The Bechdel test has been talked about a lot lately. It has become. Oh, I want to talk about how it's perceived now and what it actually is. That's kind of important to me because that's really what I want to get across in this episode. So right now, when you hear the Bechdel test mentioned, it's almost like it's. It's treated basically as a test for how feminist uh, media is right. The Bechdel test is actually a very simple set of questions. There are three things that have to be true. Two women have to talk to each other in a film. They have to talk to each other about something that isn't a man. So two women have to be in a film. They have to talk to each They have to have a conversation. And the conversation has to not involve a man. Um, It sounds like that would be very easy to accomplish. But only about half of a movie is passed. Yeah. That being said, right now, like there are a lot of criticisms about the Bechdel test. And we can go over some of them. But... The point that I want to be taken away right now from this is this this test came about. It was originally basically created by Alison Bechdel, who is an author. And she was she it was published in her 1985 comic strip Dykes to Watch Out For. And so it was originally inspired by Virginia Woolf. Oh, Um, Virginia. Well, yeah, Virginia Woolf has this quote in A Room of One's Own. And I'm going to read it just because it's a really good quote. And Virginia Woolf's great. So this is what Virginia Woolf said. All these relationships between women, I thought rapidly recalling the splendid gallery of fictitious women are too simple. And I tried to remember any case in the course of my reading where two women are represented as friends. They are now and then mothers and daughters, but almost without exception, they are shown in their relationship or sorry, in their relation to men. It was strange to think that all the great women of fiction were until Jane Austen's day, not only seen by the other sex, but seen only in relation to the other sex. And how small a part of a woman's life is that? So basically, she's saying, why? Why is it that all of these, all these, like, she's actually just talking about books, right? Why is it that all of these media representations of women are so shallow or are only seen to elevate or season the narratives of men, right? And so when we're talking about the Bechdel test, Alison Bechdel did not intend for this to become a huge feminist test icon you know for for films to be judged by she was making a cultural commentary on the fact that even this very simple set of questions does not happen in a lot of movies right
0: like it's it's a really low bar to pass right
1: right it also is not that informative
0: no it's not you know
1: yeah so one of the criticisms is basically like what does a conversation even mean um, actually the, uh, baby got back song by Sir Mix-a-Lot technically passes the Bechdel test yeah. <laughs> because there's a part where Becky says, Oh my God, Becky, look at her uh, butt. That is just one woman talking to another woman about, a woman. about someone's yeah. butt. Yeah. But, um, my favorite movie of all time. Well, okay. It's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's in my top 10. The Shawshank Redemption does not pass. Right. Yeah. True Lies passes. True Lies passes the Bechdel test. Twilight passes the Bechdel test. So passing or failing the Bechdel test does not mean you're a feminist movie, right? It does not mean that you represent women well. It's literally just a question to make you think about the narratives that we give women in film and in media, right? And it's the fact that A, this came about in 1985, and B, our our ability to evaluate (laughs) – media has not grown or changed we're still using this very simple oh no we got to have women in this movie talking to each no. other or we won't pass and the feminists will be angry right. and, and
0: i think the joke of that original comic strip was how low that bar was to pass and how few films passed it and like right i feel like a lot of um like amateur you know just internet film critics and stuff you know just like guys making comments on boards and Reddit and whatnot like they look at the bechdel test and they're like oh this is like the litmus test for whether a movie is 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 feminist or not but it's like no that's the point of the comic was that it's not you know the point like yes a film could (laughs) pass this and still be terrible for a woman and it's like it's not a strong test it's a weak test and like you can't have a litmus test for whether or not your film is like (laughs) a good rep like good representation for women it's like how about you just just make a good good film <laughs> like make a good film
1: yeah and like even the fact that they're trying to find a test i mean the bechdel test did spawn off a lot of other yeah. tests which i will talk to you about right now if yes. you like um so we have like the the Mago mori test which uh, was inspired by pacific rim which is really just does the female character have an independent plot arc that doesn't just support a male character's plot arc. So now we're actually having more of a thinking sort yes. of test, right? It's not an easy yes, no. And then one of my favorites is the sexy yes. lamp test. <laughs> my
0: favorite is actually the, um, the variant of that, which... Uh,
1: oh, what's the variant so, of
0: that? So um, penny in James Bond would be considered the sexy lamp with a post-it note. Because... They can be replaced because, like, their point in the film is not just to look beautiful, but to convey information, plot information to the main character. So you could replace Money Penny with a sexy lamp with a post-it note full of information on it.
1: I love it so yeah. much. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the sexy lamp test, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically if you replace the character with a sexy lamp, does your story go off the rails at all? And if the answer is no, rewrite your fucking story. Um, Yeah. So it spawned a bunch of other sort of similar tests in different minority and disenfranchised groups. Right. So you have some LGBT, you have indigenous people tests that have sprung up people of color. Um, So a lot of people were inspired by the Bechdel test to try to answer those questions for their own groups as well, which is really interesting one of my favorites though, and i'm just gonna I'm just saying this because I work in tech there's also non fiction related tests, and Ooh. one of them is um it's i don't know if it has a name, but it's basically a Bechdel test for software so in order to pass the Bechdel test for software, the source code passes if it contains a function that was written by a woman developer that calls another function that was written by a woman developer oh, and that just tickles the crap out <laughs> of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh dear. Yeah. So yeah. you can, you can expand this into a lot of different things, but I think the thing that I really want to come away with or everyone to come away with is basically like we need better ways to evaluate media and it's not a yes, no answer.
0: Yeah, no, that's the important thing. I think that's and that's like shows the weakness of these of these litmus tests of like does a thing pass Mm -hmm. this one criteria? Oh, then it's okay. It's like eh, you know, life is is messier than that. You know, things are things are and it's weird. And like this is important, and it's it's like you know, life imitates art and all that you know stuff. And how we represent Mm -hmm. humans to other humans is important because it does shape the way we think, even though. As I've covered before, you shouldn't because people who make media are fucking weirdos. Um,
1: yeah, but we don't have control over...
0: No, we don't, but like, we should think about Like, It needs to be thought about, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um,
0: and And women really, really need to be... I mean, all people need to be represented better in our media.
1: This goes for men as well. You don't see a lot of healthy representations of men being vulnerable or emotional or having... You know, feelings or getting their needs met or things like that. You know, oh, yeah. And- no, toxic
0: masculinity is a common problem in in, in films, right? Um, and and the, I think the point of of all of this is that you know, whatever your own political leanings or whatever, like it's important that you look at representation in media as like not some pointless SJW woke scolds like aggressive thing. It's it's just something that. We really need to think about because, you know, despite making up more than 50%, it's just over 50% of the population, like, women represent a fraction, like, a minimal fraction of, of, of strong characters we see in our stories, and societies are shaped very much by the stories they tell.
1: Yeah, storytelling is one of the oldest cultural artifacts of humankind, right? Like, you could even argue maybe that's what separates us from animals, like, we... We are storytellers at heart, and when you're a young girl and you only hear stories about men being great or things like, you start to build in these oh, these these limitations for yourself, whether or not you realize it. And then at some point, if you're lucky, something something happens or someone happens, and you start to dismantle those. But then it takes extra work to even just get anywhere, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 bottom line is just, we need better representation. People need to think of, of women as not. This is the problem with like women and other minorities. They're, they're thought of as like the, they're, they're othered very much in media, right? Like they become the other mm-hmm. because they're not. There's this thing where like the, there's the, the cishet white male is just like the standard. And everything else is a deviation right. from standard. But that's just not true at all. Right.
1: They're normal. I hate the yeah. word normal, but it's normal, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah, and
0: that's the thing. It's like white males aren't the standard. I mean, not even by just numbers, <laughs> you know? Like white males is right. not the standard. Not even not in the U.S., you know? <laughs> there there yeah. are more also, non-white males than there are white males. So...
1: There just shouldn't be a
0: standard, yeah.
1: right? Humankind is a beautiful tapestry of a bunch of weirdos, yeah. right? Like we just have so many different... Stories to tell, and everyone like we've got we're in a phase right now where you hear a lot about how representation matters, and the increase of streaming allows for a lot more nuanced media to be produced. But sometimes it can be lost in the corporate nature of it
0: 100%.
1: When we say representation matters, we need to also say why, and it's because. We're human beings and we're all in this together, and we should be lifting each other up and learning more about each other and developing empathy. Like, we're not, I don't want people to put gay people in movies just to check a box. No, no, because that that and doesn't, I, I want,
0: that doesn't do anyone any good.
1: Yeah. Like, recently, uh, Chappelle, the Chappelle show, Netflix published uh, one of his stand up specials or something. He's under a lot of fire because he has. Very strong anti-trans sentiments in it, and it's caused this whole thing. Like people, people from Netflix actually um, interrupted a meeting to protest it, and then they got fired. And it's just been this whole deal. And you know, Chappelle's eh, stance on the whole thing is basically like, "Oh, they're just being too whiny. It doesn't make any difference. It's just a joke." As if that hasn't been the narrative that we've used for hundreds of years to oppress people. It does matter. Like the, the trans community are very, very highly predated upon the, the rates of violence against trans people is huge. Trans trans women, especially trans women of color experience more violent crime against them than almost any other demographic. And the thing about it is it's because of this otherness, right? If you maintain that otherness in life and in media, Whenever you do find something, because we're humans, but we also have lizard brains, and we think, oh no, something is new and scary, we must crush it, or whatever. uh, It makes them just seem, you know, unapproachable and unhuman, which isn't fair. But if you see them just represented normally in media, be it a black person or a woman who wants a job or (laughs) has any sort of narrative that isn't just, you know, I'm an old woman or I'm a mother or I'm a sex object. Right. You actually develop that empathy.
0: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like it's just... It is weird that our popular narratives are dominated so by such a specific group of people. You know, by, by, by just mm-hmm. basically white males, right? Like, it's just weird that that's the... Given the tapestry and the multiculturalism that is... The melting pot that is, you know, the U.S., it is just really weird that that is all we see represented in media and I think we like we need to acknowledge that and you know move forward some of the some really interesting stories um you know they're told when they're told from outside the norm or the norm I, I'm using mm-hmm. the norm because that's what we currently It's hard not yeah. to um, but you know some of my favorite stories right now that I'm consuming are basically you know fresh voices because everything is so dominated, you know, I'm really enjoying Mm -hmm. a lot of sci-fi written by black women because they're so underrepresented. Mm -hmm. Like for a lot of, one, they're amazing writers, but they're also like that voice is extremely underrepresented in the genre and in publishing. So like, it's, it's nice um, to get that other perspective. And I think it helps grow empathy. I think it helps a person grow as an individual.
1: Yeah. And isn't, isn't that the point of storytelling, right? So, Why is it that we can tell stories where we can imagine that we have superpowers or we can imagine that we turn into cats or we can imagine whatever crazy thing, but then you add a gay person Mm. and it's a hard stop, right? right? We cannot possibly imagine that. That is just too uncomfortable. Like, yes, please. I want to watch a serial killer with hooks for hands and an alligator face destroy someone. For two hours, but I don't ever want to see men kiss on screen.
0: No thank Yucky. you. That's <laughs> gross.
1: But ew. ew. Yeah. This this threatens my my sense of pff, comfort. Yeah. Which leads me to something else that I was I was thinking about this as I was driving today, because essentially the entire purpose of our current podcast is to analyze the change of moral not moral imperatives, moral acceptance. I can't think of the quite the right Mm
0: -hmm. now. Yeah. uh, yeah, The the evolution of our social standards, our social morality.
1: um, Right. What we're willing to accept in film and media and that sort of thing. And one of the things that this is going to do is going to make people uncomfortable. And a lot of people are not, This is going to sound like a stupid sentence, but they're not comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. In order to to question these things, like we're going to talk about movies that I like a lot and it's going to hurt. Mm. Um, I I think like the fifth element. Oh, yeah. I love the fifth element. I mean, the
0: next thing on our recording docket is one of your uh, was your favorite film as a child. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other bucket of worms that we'll get to. But yeah, yeah but when we get so, to that, we'll,
0: I think what we'll find is that it yeah, wasn't as bad as you think.
1: That's that's fair. Um, but when we talk about this, I feel like it's important for us to also cultivate a feeling of forgiveness for ourselves, right? Like you cannot, you cannot judge past versions of yourself for participating in actions that you did not mm-hmm. understand. What you can do and should do is take the things that you're learning now, have an open mind, listen when people say things like, no, this isn't okay, right? When they have a, a perspective. And this still happens to me. Like the other day, I made a joke to my friend and I used what, you know, it's one of those things that I didn't even consider. Being an issue, right? Like I, I made some sort of joke and I had, I used a black scent, which I didn't even realize was a word. Mm. And my friend said, oh, you really shouldn't. She said it in a very nice way, but she was like, you shouldn't use that. And I was like, oh my God, that's just in me. And it just came out without me thinking yeah, about it. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that she pointed it out because I am like, oh my God, I do not want to do yeah. that. I
0: mean, I I do the same thing with, uh, you know, in college and stuff and, and afterwards, not so much because I ran out of time, but I used to game a lot. Right. I used to play a lot of online mm-hmm. gaming, you know, Xbox Live, Halo, you know, just to date myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there was, there was Halo one, yeah, Halo <laughs> one. But, you know, there was, <laughs> there was definitely that gamer culture at the time. Um, there was a lot of homophobic slurs and stuff used. And yeah, that was kind of a leftover from the nineties. I feel like, um, a lot mm-hmm. of those words where you would use the, um, you know, you'd use like the F word as like a a derogatory um term. Um and like it, it took a while of me like you know, I lived on the internet entirely too much. You know, I was on yeah. <laughs> I was on the internet who didn't way too much. And it was hard for me to separate like the the like the game of it. The game mm-hmm. and of, of the jokes and the fun with the actual like meaning of the game harm. and of the harm it was mm-hmm. doing um and that was that took a uh, that took some growing for me
1: yeah it's not easy yeah. right like nobody wants to be the bad guy and so our first response when someone tells us that we're doing something wrong and it's something that we've been doing for a long oh, time harmless. is to be resistant yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a, a bit of, or fun. to get angry, or yeah. to <laughs> just a bit of fun, or fuck you, you can't tell me what yeah. to do, or whatever. I don't, you know. There's a, a wide variety of responses to it, and I think that that's normal. But I think it's also something that needs to be grown. Past.
0: Yes, absolutely. I, I don't. I don't. And and it's like, and when it comes to media of stuff you used to enjoy, I think you can still go back and enjoy a lot of problematic media. I don't think anyone's saying that you shouldn't do that. Um, But I do think it's good to go back with the context in mind and really Mm -hmm. understand what you're ingesting and like, what is acceptable and unacceptable and why, like it's not enough to, you can't just say, Oh, that thing stinks. Like, Oh, that thing's bad because it had a lot of problematic views. It's like, it'd be better for you to understand why those things were problematic so that you can like Mm -hmm. empathize better with Um, the people who were subject to it.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I definitely feel like I take a little bit harsher stance on it, and that could just be because I have a hard time ingesting a lot of the media that is like this. Like, I actually am having a hard time finding new shows Mm. to watch because I will come across something and be like, this is just too upsetting. I can't watch this.
0: Yeah. And it's something
1: that I normally would not have bothered yeah. me. Right? I mean that's
0: fair. And and the other thing too is like I'm I'm coming from a very cishet white male perspective where like I have the um I have the privilege to be like, eh, whatever, it doesn't affect me. You know? Mm-hmm. Um and I, I am very much aware of that.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's something like you need to treat it like something that's just a little bit poisonous. Right. <laughs> you can't eat very much of it, it's right? Ju- it's it's so media, media junk, careful, junk food. Realize, right? Yeah. Realize what you're doing. It's full of trans fats. Wow, that's mm. actually kind of mm. hilarious. <laughs> I
0: don't
1: know. It's full of trans fat jokes is what it's oh, full dear. of, right? Like it's just horribly offensive. Um, I also, I also think that we are much more susceptible to media than people are willing to admit.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Like I think people think that they're above propaganda, but that's not how propaganda works, yeah. right? You develop these subconscious associations with things and these subconscious responses to things and you can't control them, right? So the things you feed into yourself are things that are changing your internal landscape. And so when you do choose to ingest this media, you need to do it with a very critical eye.
0: Yeah. I mean, like like anything that you ingest, you need to be watch out. Like bad food goes straight to your stomach or whatever and bad media goes straight to the brain. (laughs) Right. I th- yeah, heavy. it's heavy stuff, and we started this talking about a, a silly little: do women talk to each other on a movie test?
1: <sighs> yeah. So let's see. What else can we say about the Bechdel test? Um,
0: well, there's some areas where it's it's really like weak, but again, that's the whole point: is that it is a weak standard. But right. like, it, it does a lot of people will include um, uh, underage women, so girls as as mm-hmm. as.
1: That's how true lies passes. Yeah, that's valid. And
0: I feel like, oh well, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. That should. That part shouldn't be valid because um, I want children to be children. <laughs> I want them yes. to talk about childish things. And if two two little girls talk about childish things, then it passes the Bechdel test. Even if like every th- every other woman in the movie only talks about men.
1: It's also interesting because if it's a mother talking to her child, like in True yeah. Lies, then you're still just sort of pigeonholing the woman into the mother role, the standard yeah. role of you are allowed to be a mom, but that's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But again, the, the whole point of the Bechdel test is to be in uh, a ter- a just stupidly low standard. So,
1: Yeah, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, yeah. and the fact that it has been taken so seriously is its own commentary on Oh yeah. the views of women in yeah. media by the people who produce media. Um, I do have a thing that I found really interesting and I found a new person to hate. I tried to look up more about him, but I know, right? Exciting. I say hate, but I am saying it playfully. Hate is bad, you know, et cetera. (laughs) Um, So in, in response to the Bechdel test, there was a man named Kyle Smith who's a film critic and he suggested that
0: first of all, no, no serious critic should take the Bechdel test seriously. Like it's, it's it's right? it's inter- right? it's pop culture oh. baloney criticism. It's not real criticism. It's yeah, not scholarly like, criticism, I should say. It's real criticism. Everything's real, but it's not scholarly. It's not like there's not a framework of and Bechtelian- Delianism, you know? <laughs> Bechtel critical yeah, theory.
1: If, <laughs> if the if the bulk of your commentary about women in film is just these three very simple questions, you have much larger issues. So the film critic Kyle Smith suggested that the reason for the Bechdel test results was that – so basically the test results being that only half of them pass. He said that Hollywood movies are about people on the extremes of society – cops, criminals, superheroes, which tend to be men. Such films, according to Smith, were more often created by men because, and I quote, women's movie ideas were mostly about relationships and, quote, aren't commercial enough for Hollywood studios – Yeah, he considered Uh, the Bechdel test just as... (laughs) uh, We will now take a Matt Grohns break. uh, (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, so he said uh, he considered the Bechdel test just as meaningless as a test asking whether a film contained cowboys. I like that he couldn't even use an example about women. It had to be cowboys. cowboys.
0: (laughs) All those... uh, Um, Yeah. All those... You know, in real life, on my day-to-day, all those male superheroes, you know, just so many right? men. And cops and criminals. And- they're just, like, saving everybody, flying around everywhere. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so sick of these flying penises everywhere. <laughs> you know? Give me some, give me some just, flying vaginas. Just,
1: right? And this is a man who reviews films for a living. Ugh. And I'm like, why? The idea that women, women's ideas about movies or movies about relationships aren't commercial enough for Hollywood studios. What? Like, it's not like women (laughs) make up half the world and control lots of money and whatever. Not that that should be the reason you do anything. But if we're going to try to convince capitalists to be on our side, at the very least, we can say, well, you know, We'll make it real easy for you. (laughs) Do something that attracts any of the other 50% of the world, and it'll be great.
0: It's not mainstream. It's Uh, not mainstream, Kate. It only appeals to 51% of the population.
1: Can't do it. Yeah. But it's a, it's, they don't count as real people. Right. So, you know. (sighs) Yeah. And then you have like, all right, JK Rowling.
0: Oh God. uh, Don't. Oh my God.
1: We're not going to talk about oh, her as geez. problematic as she yeah. is. But like she wrote Harry Potter. Potter, right? Harry Potter a huge and massive criti- yeah. you know commercial success. Women can write stories, right? Yeah. That's not something that is limited to men. Also, women can be cops and criminals. My favorite villains are women, oh, you yeah. know? I love yeah. a good woman villain. And
0: Who's your favorite Who's your favorite woman villain? I'll put you on the spot. Oh,
1: that's that's really hard. All right, let's think about it. I actually really, really like Cruella Deville.
0: Cruella Deville. O G. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: Mostly because of the new movie about. Okay, Cruella. I haven't seen the new movie. Uh, Ursula is also one of my favorites because she's an oh, octopus.
0: Ursula is an icon and um, designed after a drag queen, like the most famous I know. drag
1: queen. So. Which is why she's so great.
0: Oh, so Um, much fun and so much camp, and it's great.
1: Yeah. (sighs) She makes that whole movie. But I think my most favorite villain of all time is Poison Ivy.
0: Okay. All right.
1: She starts off as a scientist, and then she... She gets mad, right? Like, she gets mad for uh, good reasons. People are destroying the environment. And Poison Ivy was made ages ago, and it's still true, Mm -hmm. right? And so Mm -hmm. she's like, you know what I'm going to do? Turn into a crazy plant lady, check. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Destroy a bunch of people, check, you know? And my favorite villains are the ones that you kind of can't argue with, right?
0: You're
1: like you know what i mean like you're you're doing a bad thing but also like you're right the environment's important you should save those wetlands yeah who who is your favorite
0: Uh, villain that's tough i don't have like a stereotypical like super favorite um i i'm very um as a person i'm very attracted to very competent people right Mm -hmm. i like people who can get things done um
1: ozymandias (laughs)
0: so like what
1: he's a great villain (laughs) yeah
0: he's pretty good um so i guess my favorite female villain off the top of my head i didn't really think about this hard enough before i asked you the question but maybe uh dr girlfriend from Venture brothers
1: oh i don't think i've ever seen
0: that oh okay well it's a a fun little cartoon that pokes a lot of fun at the tropes of like you know the the 60s and 70s cartoons of the Mm -hmm. uh, you know in comic books and and but just pop culture nonsense um it's a fun show. I don't. I think. I think they finished it. I don't think they're making any more. But it was, you know, it was hard to keep up with because mm. the, the creators would only release a season like once every four years or something. <laughs> like it was <laughs> impossible hard. to keep up with the show. So like I haven't even seen most of the later seasons. I know, um, but Doctor Girlfriend is is pretty fantastic. Um, but I don't know if that should count because she's voiced. Well, she's voiced by a man. and that's like part of the joke and like i don't know how i feel about that i haven't gone back and examined that
1: (laughs) all right time for a rewatch yeah maybe
0: i need to go and examine that but um but the reason i like dr girlfriend is that she's she's very competent and doesn't let Mm -hmm. like men get in her way and you know just very like doesn't let anyone get in the way men or women but
1: Mm -hmm. it's difficult to to pick a female villain that's really good because a lot of times a woman just doing things for herself becomes a villain.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Like a woman who doesn't want to be a mother or... So, like, look at the Devil Wears Prada, right? The villain of that movie is clearly... um, Oh, my gosh. How could I forget her name? Meryl oh, Streep.
0: Yeah. Played by... Plays her. Yeah, the character Miranda
1: Priestly. Miranda Priestly. Mar- yeah. yeah. She's, she's the villain of the story, but she... It's a complicated character, right? She runs, she's the head of a very, very hard and difficult magazine. She has a string of failed marriages. She really cares about her kids, but she doesn't have time to do it. And, you know, she's she's the villain for having really exacting standards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, obviously she's difficult to work with, and there are other issues with her and whatnot. But basically the idea that if you're a woman who doesn't want to fall into line you're already a villain makes mm-hmm. it more difficult to identify more nuanced
0: villainy. Mm-hmm. Right. Speaking of villainy okay. and women and uh what we're going to record for our Halloween episode are the witches <laughs> and Hocus Pocus. They're pretty great. All three of them. All I three of them, them are so just much. wonderful.
1: They are. I am so excited about that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we release all these, it's going to be out of order. So, yeah, yeah. I
0: think, like, I was, was, I'm actually thinking, like, you know, anybody listening is probably going to listen to this after the fact, but we're probably going to release Hocus Pocus first because it'll be right after Halloween. Um, Mm -hmm. So, it'll be good to release that. And then we'll release all the other ones we've recorded, including this one, even though we recorded this one before Hocus Pocus. Dun dun dun. We'll have, we'll have, we'll have the two official watch orders. We'll have, like, the release (laughs) order and the recorded order. (laughs) Yes. And then people can fight online about uh, which what which is, is what is what is canon
1: oh my god, I can't wait medium until, salt we'll fight <laughs> online about us <laughs> <laughs> that'll mean we've made it, yeah, so yeah.
0: we'll just you know generate that hate and that love yeah it'll be fantastic. <laughs>
1: So the Bechdel test, the I think thought. that it was important at the time. I think it's also older than either of us. And I think that yeah, we need yeah, absolutely. better ways to evaluate our media. Yeah. And I think when you watch something and you think about whether or not it is a good representation of other people, the important thing is that, is this person like a standalone person? Can you imagine having a conversation in a coffee shop with this character mm-hmm. and what would they say? Right?
0: Yes. And I and the Bechdel test should really be thought of as like a tongue-in-cheek punchline mm-hmm. of a joke, because that's what it originally was. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the joke being everyone else, how terrible we are. Like, the joke is like, <laughs> most films don't pass this stupid, it's this stupid, stupid test that really doesn't tell us anything.
1: Well, I feel like it's also important to say that not every narrative has to be about women. Like, that's no, not oh what God, we're no. asking for. No, no, for. no, no, no. Right. Like... So, Shaw- The Shawshank Redemption is a great example. Yeah. It takes place largely in a prison, and it is about a very specific subset of the population, and it makes sense that there are not a lot of women in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so, it does not pass the Bechdel test. But it's a great movie, and it's, it's very uh, – it's a great story, too. And we're not saying that we want to – replace every narrative with a queer narrative or a female narrative. I mean, I think some people probably do because people want to see themselves in film, right? Like you don't want to watch a movie that doesn't portray anything that you care about, but also sometimes it might be a little bit of an overcorrection about the fact that largely film has been, like you said, controlled by and representing white men for the majority of history. And the The pushback that we get from just adding even small characters to movies about or games, God forbid, mm-hmm. um, that that white men want to consume is ridiculous, right? Like the the, the arguments are, oh, I don't want to see such and such person, or I don't want to play as a woman. I'm not a woman, and I'm like, right. what about you know? What, right. Like,
0: what about the, are, the, you, the, are you the,
1: are you fucking with me? Like, right. are you really this uninsightful? I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah. Like, this has to be a troll, but it's right. not. It's they're not. real they're, people. are people
0: who just, like, they, they never bothered to examine their own beliefs. Um, and I think that's it we have. Our timer went off. Oh, hey, we actually
1: did a pretty good job.
0: We covered the topic, which was good. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we picked a pretty light topic for this first episode of Light Salt. So <laughs> I think that was good. I know some of our other topics won't be so light, but I'm going to, tr- like, we'll, we'll try. We'll try. We're going to do our best. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I don't know if there's any good additional reading that you would suggest for the Bechdel test I for will, anyone who's interested. Um,
1: yeah, I think that we're going to try to have a post for every episode to include some some links and some resources to learn more. Like there's actually a BechdelTest.com where you can go and see movies that pass. So, like you can search. It's a searchable database created by users. Wonderful. Um, and so, yeah, even just, you know, links to like I, I very, very lightly mentioned... Some of the other tests that have sprung up about indigenous people or uh, there's actually like an Orthodox Jew one, things like that. I'll I'll add some links to things about that, too.
0: That's really neat. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening in to Medium Salt. Make sure to visit our website, mediumsalt.com, where you can subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or a subscribe, a follow. Uh, if you'd uh, tell a friend about the show, tweet about the show, call your mom about the show, maybe make some smoke signals, maybe, hey, you maybe some sky writing. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at mediums underscore salt. Check us out next week. We're going to talk about a surprising film, Mrs. Doubtfire. Kate, shall you or shall I?
1: I feel like we need to say it at the same time.
0: Stay salty.
1: Have a great week, everyone.